0: Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African-Americans.
2: Good evening, Clarence and everybody. I'm Liz Mitchell. In today's broadcast, you will also hear a new edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, a feature segment on historical perspectives that you won't hear in mainstream media. All in the next hour on Bring It On.
0: But first, Sandra Bland was a 28-year-old African-American woman who was found hanged in a jail cell in Waller County, Texas, on July 13, 2015, three days after being arrested during a traffic stop. Her death was ruled a suicide. It was followed by protests against her arrest, disputing the cause of death and alleging racial violence against her.
2: Bland was pulled over for a traffic violation earlier on July 10th by State Trooper Brian Insignia. The exchange escalated, resulting in Bland's arrest and charge for assaulting a police officer. The arrest was particularly was partially recorded by Insignia's dashcam, by a bystander's cell phone, and Bland's own cell phone. After authorities reviewed the dashcam footage, and Senia was placed on administrative leave for failing to follow proper traffic stop procedures
0: texas authorities and the fbi conducted an investigation into bland's death and determined the waller county jail did not follow required policies including time checks on inmates and ensuring that employees had completed required mental health training
2: in december 2015 a grand jury declined to indict the county sheriff and jail staff for a felony relating to Bland's death. In January 2016, Insignia was indicted for perjury for making false statements about the circumstances surrounding Bland's arrest, and he was subsequently fired by the Texas Department of Public Safety.
0: In September 2016, Bland's mother settled a wrongful death lawsuit against the county jail and police department for $1.9 million and some procedural changes. In June 2017, the perjury charge against Insignia was dropped in return for his agreement to permanently end his law enforcement career.
2: Darlene Glayton of Chicago Tribune wrote that Sandra Bland spent the final years of her life as an outspoken civil rights activist, spreading the word about racial injustice and police brutality. Even in death, she wouldn't stop talking.
0: Until now, the story had been told entirely from the officer's vantage point. On last Monday, video taken from Bland's cell phone was made public. And we were able to see what the confrontation looked like from her point of view
2: the short video shows a calm and controlled young woman at the mercy of an increasingly agitated officer towering over her with a taser pointed in her face and yelling get out of the car i will light you up get out now
0: if anything the new footage raises more questions about why bland was hauled off to jail to begin with It shows that the only person who was a threat that day was Insignia, the one who should have been afraid for her life, was Bland.
2: Joining us in the studio this evening to begin the conversation on Sandra Bland's controversial death is Amrita Myers, Bring It On contributor, and, uh, and Ruth Hall's associate professor, Departments of History and Gender Studies at Indiana University. Along with her is Jacinda Townsend, also a Bring It On contributor and associate professor of English at Indiana University. She is a recipient of the Janet Heidinger Kappa Prize for Fiction, Both of our esteemed guests are active with the Black Lives Matter movement. Ladies, bring it on. So happy to see you this evening.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you for
2: having us. And
0: and may I point out that we took liberties in having a very long introduction. We wanted to chronicle Mm. as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm Uh, glad you did. Yet again, another instance. And at this point, I have just about lost count. Mm. Um, You know, here we are going into the summer and one thing that we have learned to expect over the last four or five years are are these questionable at police actions against black, um, either black youth or black young adults or black adults or anyone black. It seems so. Well, just we
1: last week, just last week, a young woman was shot to death in Houston. Mm-hmm. Yes,
3: after screaming that after she was screaming
1: pregnant. that she was yeah. pregnant. Um, she, I mean. She told the officer she screamed, "I'm pregnant," and he shot her to death. Just and that was just outside Houston.
3: And and I think it's both sort of intentional and unintentional that we have lost count because, um, you know, there's there's some amount of sort of control of the media that is going on. Um, police departments are pushing a certain narrative, and we're losing these stories. Um, but I think we're also losing these stories to a news cycle that is now consumed with other terrible things. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Yes,
1: you're absolutely right.
2: I would like to revisit the conversation that Amrita and I had before we came on air, because I think uh, maybe our listening audience is unaware of how the police today, what it derived from. So would you repeat what you told me earlier uh, about the the police? So maybe people, if they got that in their head, they'll kind of go, hmm, about what's going on today.
1: So Liz is referring to the fact that several years ago, she heard me give a short speech um, at a BLM rally here in town about the the historical context out of which the police arose in the United States. And to make it really, really brief, um, policing in the United States arose out of the slave patrols. That's as as concise as I can make it. Um, that's That's the truth of the matter. Um, you know, And it's, it's really hard for police officers, no matter which way you slice it, to look at black people in the United States as being citizens worthy of protection when the history of police forces in this country arose out of seeing black and brown people as being threats to white people's property or property. Uh, because that's that's exactly where policing arises out of, you know, all um, all across the country, slave patrols were created um, out of white men who were themselves slave owners, and they were charged every night with patrolling the roadways, and they were, you know, they were supposed to watch for black people, and any black person they saw on the roads, they were supposed to stop. And they were supposed to demand papers, to you know, basically say, "What are you basically? What are you doing out on the roads at night?" Because black people were not supposed to be out on the roads at night—country roads, urban roads—it didn't matter. And they had to, black people had to produce papers, proving proving that they were out on the roads, you know, for, you know, just cause, you know, with a purpose. And if they couldn't produce those papers, saying that they were out, you know, for a good reason either they were a free black person or they had a pass from their master or mistress that they were out on an errand for just cause they could be beaten um on the spot and then hauled off to jail before being uh, you know before their master or mistress was you know know, told the next day or several days later who knows that their property had been out without just cause So, I mean, it's very similar today where basically it's stop and frisk, right? It's direct. You can see the direct correlation yes. of stop, show me your papers. And, 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 the, and if you can't, or even if you can, you can still be hauled off to jail. It's direct correlation. So how can you, how can you say that we are supposed to trust the police, call the police, depend on the police, when the very structures and systems of policing arise out of the slave patrol. They can't see us as citizens worthy of protection when policing arises out of the
0: slave patrol. You know, that reminds me, um, <clears throat> lest we forget that in our own constitution, uh, African-Americans were four-fifths of a, of a person. Three-fifths. Three-fifths.
1: And it was not that we were three-fifths of a person. We were counted as three-fifths for the purposes of representation of white, basically representation of white folks in the South in government. Slaves were counted as three-fifths for population purposes Mm -hmm. so that white folks in Southern states had more representation in government.
0: And then the other point I was going to bring up was, you know, unless anyone feels that, well, this is sort of out there as an explanation and this is sort of, uh, you know, how can you even uh, uh, prove this? Well, let's not forget to not too long ago that apartheid was the rule of the day in South Africa. Yes, And if you want sort of a reminder of how life was, just look at what blacks went through in South Africa.
2: And they they're far outnumbered. I was going it. to say, it's still. they're still going through it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was just in Ghana and wanted to go to South Africa. Visited with a girl that came over, had just left South Africa and told me what it was like. She said, it's beautiful, but they're still treating people of color bad. She said, I was able to go in any store because they knew I was a foreigner. But the residents the the, the blacks that live there could not they had their own stores, so it's like they've evolved to Jim Crow here mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to mm-hmm. put it, but it's still terrible in their own country that they're second citizens and you
3: you bring up a um, sort of another feature of of American policing too Liz in that it's it's an outgro- it's an outgrowth of sort of the way capitalism color codes people and makes them stay in place and protects other people's property, right? So we have only to look at the way crime is, for instance, prosecuted in predominantly minority neighborhoods versus the way it's prosecuted and enforced in um, majority neighborhoods, right? Um, we exactly. have only to look at the statistics of who, in fact, is, is prosecuted for crimes against minorities. It's actually very rare, Um, that violent crimes against minorities are, in fact, prosecuted.
2: Exactly. And if I look at things, or if you think about things in a whole, uh, the U.S. as a whole, will go to great lengths to protect capitalism, Mm -hmm. to protect the... I mean, look what... You think about the history. Mm -hmm. So that's what everything is about. If you Mm -hmm. think about all of that and you think, oh, my, it's deep. It's deeper than mm-hmm.
0: what we think. Well, I. Um, what has drawn us here tonight is a discussion on on Sandra Bland, not um, that we are going back to 2015. It's just that new evidence has surfaced right. in 2019 mm-hmm. in the form of, um, you know, her own footage mm-hmm. of this encounter with a state trooper. <laughs> um, and some have already said, well, demands now that we reopen this case and um, and then when you look at the history and you look at it a little bit cl- more closely, this officer was, was accused of perjury and was not put in jail, but basically terminated. And to protect him from, I guess, any other prosecution, he agreed never again to enter into law enforcement. Right, Which they I said I he could never very, work again as a police officer. Very interesting. And then, too, and then, you know, you always get these reports. It never, it never fails that, like with Rodney King, there was marijuana <laughs> in his system. And so, mm-hmm. with Sandra Bland, the coroner commented that I've never seen such a high dosage or mm-hmm. high level of THC in her system. And even if, um, you know, after three days after her death, there was such a high content in her system. That obviously she must have either been addicted to THC or she consumed a large quantity out of fear of being arrested for it upon her stop, Um, and so that counters up a whole another notion that she was out of her mind.
3: But Uh, who who smokes weed and then gets belligerent?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Have you have you met people who are on marijuana? They're the most laid back, chill
2: people on the planet. But you know, well, that, that I'm thinking little, back
0: on old Cheech and Chong movies, I guess.
2: <laughs> that that little clip that they showed was showing her being irate, Ver- and um, uh, um, that you know just that soundbite, and and that's all we were shown. The American public was shown. So I'm thinking, okay, calm down, sister. You wanna you wanna fight later. You don't want to do your fighting in the street. But she was calm. This new video. This new video shows that. Mm -hmm. She's very controlled. Yes. But we weren't showed that initially. Mm -hmm. So where has this video been? And this is a woman who
1: knew how to handle herself. She had done plenty of activism work in Chicago. She was active in the BLM movement. Mm -hmm. She knew her rights. She knew how to handle herself. I mean, Chicago activists are some of the best trained most I mean, incredibly intelligent yes i mean those those sisters up there are no joke mm-hmm. they they actually go around the country training other people. I know a lot of the women in yes. Chicago, yes, so she i I have always been very, very suspicious of this case from jump because. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the women who are active in leadership in Chicago. Like I said, they go around the country training other people. They don't fly off the handle. They know what they're doing. Mm
2: -hmm. And you would think and you would know common (laughs) sense would tell you that that they by all the activism that she was involved in, Mm -hmm. that the first thing they'll tell you is to remain calm so that people will listen to you if you're just bug eyed berserk. You've right. just lost everything. Mm-hmm. So you you know you're right, but no. what person is gonna think and take the? T- they're gonna right. believe what they see. That's on why TV. she.
1: That's why she knew to take out her phone. She knew how to. Mm-hmm. Rec- she was recording. She knew exactly what what to say. She knew what what to. What, you know she knew step by mm-hmm. step what the procedure was. So this is this something. was a college educated woman on her way to a job at Prayer View A and M. Let's not forget that she was on her way to a to a to a position at an HBCU, mm-hmm. her alma mater. Yes, this was a woman who had education, who had a job, who had a family, who had a member of a sorority, who had a support system. This was not some fly-by-night woman that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: So it's worth talking about where the video was for mm-hmm. the past four I years. I wonder because apparently. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and this is one of the more horrifying things about this for me is that she is not only is she a woman who knew her rights, but she actually says, and there's a quote here from here, uh, from her in the news that we've seen as the level eight, you could stand there, surrender to the cops and still be killed. Um, mm-hmm. Not only that, but, you know, we all sort of when we're stopped by the cops, wonder if we should start recording. Well, she did. And then that was suppressed for four years. So apparently um i I saw this video actually with her lawyer. He was shocked that this video existed. um the special prosecutor never showed this to the grand jury um the it was unearthed by a reporter at this this affiliate in texas w f a a um, so you know I, I i who knows where it was why well, we know why it was suppressed, but it, it, it's just frightening that, that you can take all these precautions. And, and I think this is one reason why, of, of all the sort of terrible things that are going on right now, um, this is the one I'm more, the most exercised about. Because at any given moment, I could be pulled over. And the way that's going to go, no matter what I do, is a little bit unpredictable to me. So... Can... Can I just say how
1: much I agree with you because I was pulled over here in town just a few weeks ago and (laughs) what went through my head and how absolutely, incredibly, internally terrified I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, how I behaved externally was one thing, but this case was absolutely foremost in my head. And it didn't matter that this everyone says, "Oh, it's Bloomington."
2: That Nothing's doesn't going. matter.
1: It mm-hmm. doesn't matter because I was
2: absolutely terrified.
1: You I still had
2: those feelings, even though I we're in Bloomington. Absolute, mm-hmm. I, it was, and things yes. can go wrong anywhere. It
1: can mm-hmm. go wrong in a heartbeat mm-hmm. and in an instant. And mm-hmm. I was, I was absolutely terrified.
0: Did it? Um, Did it make any difference as far as where you were pulled over? Were you in sort of a congested area? Were you out in sort of a rural area? I mean, the extremes.
1: So I was pulled over, um, you know, right by what they called Jared's Subway on Atwater. Right. You know, which is a main road, really well lit. Right. And it had just gotten dark. And um, the officer pulled me over. I had just gotten my car back. From the dealership earlier that day, it had just been serviced, and I won't say what dealership because I've already had a discussion with them, mm-hmm. a very long one, um, and I've asked them that I've told them pretty sternly that they need to change how they do what they do. I just p- picked up my car earlier that day, run a bunch of errands, gotten, um, and then it had gotten dark by the time I had finished everything, and. I was driving up at water and he pulled me over and I was stunned because I knew I wasn't speeding and he comes up to the car and he says do you know why I pulled you over and I said I have absolutely no idea and he said your lights are off and I said excuse me I said I have automatic lights on my car. Because it's a relatively new vehicle and it, it has automatic lights. Running lights. Yeah, yeah it man. has automatic lights. So I never have to think about that. It's, and he said, and he flashed the you know, light and he goes, well, can we test them to make sure they're working? And I said, okay. And we looked and you know what the dealership had done when they did the full servicing? They had switched the lights off. Mm. But I had no way of knowing that because all the interior dashboard lights were on mm-hmm. and so as soon as and i and i saw like that the lights were off when he flashed the flashlight on it so of course once we switched everything on the external lights then flashed on and i literally was sitting there shaking mm-hmm. shaking because in my head i just thought to myself
0: this is a setup
1: hmm like, yeah, I thought to myself, I, I'm about to go to jail. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm about to go to jail because he's like, he wants my license. He wants my registration. I'm, a, I'm on the core council of mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I give speeches all over this town. There is nobody who doesn't know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm about to get arrested.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let, me, let me ask you, um, and, and compare <laughs> this to Sandra Bland, you know, do you in some ways think that she was... Targeted, or do you some ways think that this was a state trooper, and in the Texas case that um, um, now has a badge, now is the authoritative figure, now can exert this influence over another human being because I have a badge and I have a loaded revolver and I have a obviously a taser and and, and uh, all these other um, a billy club whatever. But, but I, I am now the authoritative figure, so I control this interaction and you are subordinate to me. And the fact that you are, are, are an articulate, well-spoken individual doesn't matter anymore because I am in control. Now, we don't know this person's background and we hope that in their training to be an officer, that they were uh, maybe given a psychological tra- test before given a weapon. <laughs> we can only hope and trust uh, because it's it's I did notice in, in the reading of our of our intro that one of the changes that was brought about by the civil suit was the, or the wrongful death lawsuit were changes in how they uh, handle mental health issues. But let's not forget that the person behind the badge may have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So I, I, well,
1: I can tell you right now that too many people <laughs> are getting through those. Uh, some some places don't even have those screenings. Mm-hmm. Some places the the bar is set really low. Some places are letting people through who have all kinds of histories of domestic violence, um, open warrants for things like that. I'm like nobody who has a history of domestic violence. Nobody who has mental health issues should be getting on police forces. And I'm not just talking about men, mm-hmm. women, women. Mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I have no, I'm not talking, I don't care if you're transgender, I don't care if you're a woman, I don't care if you're a man, I don't care what your mm-hmm. gender, you know, I don't care what box you check. Black, white, brown, ma- male, female, gender non-conforming, you got a history of mental health issues, you have a history of domestic violence, you don't get to pick up a taser, a gun, or
0: anything else, mm-hmm. there period. Was, there was a case, I'm thinking of two now. One, uh, when we talk about cell phones, the woman who was filming as her boyfriend was killed in the car. Oh, yes. yes. And then the other where there was a woman. And their
1: child was in the back
0: mm-hmm. of in the, the back. car. And, and, and the other was uh, a woman, it really looked like stalking, where she followed uh, a black gentleman home
2: mm-hmm.
0: up to his apartment, and I
2: remember. Yes.
0: Pushed her way in, or or demanded to yeah. get in, and then somehow he shot. Um, and then they're kind of united or connected in some kind of way. Either I don't know if they were dating or whatever. But oh, this is in Dallas. Yes, and it was never really. It that was, was the female. Door.
1: That was the female officer.
0: Who the female officer.
1: Amber. Yeah,
3: Geiger. That went Amber
1: over Geiger, who like, yeah, he she de- pounded on the door, demanded to be let in, and mm-hmm. then she shot him right in his own
0: apartment. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it exceeds just a pullover in a car. It's, it's sort of, I have this badge. Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to that. I have this badge. This badge symbolizes law and order. And they used to date. So there was this sort of connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that did come out, that there was this oh. sort of. They
1: used to date. Amber, they used to date those. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. history
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, yeah.
0: Well, and, and we could take case after case after case after case. Um, I and mean, going on for years. For years. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al Sharpton first, well, no, no, that, that was that was a different different case. I see there's so many you can get kind of confused. But the one thing I did want to stress that um, it seems that the mood, and everyone collectively agrees, most, let's say, a high percentage of people agree that the mood of our country has something to do with the escalation of a lot of things. And, and I have to go back to our current administration. I don't want to spend hours talking about this individual, but... It's like when he got up and gave the speech and said, and when you are arresting these people and you're putting them in your car, you don't have <laughs> to be gentle. You can push them in. And now, and, and there were law enforcement officers in the background. Some were kind of looking at each other. Others were chuckling. But yet he said this, you know. Um, our, our, our leader set this. It's like he gives us tacit green light. And then mm-hmm. the comments about they were good on both sides. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, you mean you mean in, in Charlottesville. Charlottesville? In Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. I mean, all this goes into our psyche because it's reported. It's stated from our president. And, and they're like, I don't know if they're, if they're dog whistles or whatever. But here we are in this very mistrusting uh, time in our country. And this polarization i just thought that was just what people were hurling around out of Mm -hmm. frustration but no you feel it Mm -hmm. you feel the polarization
3: but i oh sorry I
0: well
3: I, i think there was good news though and the good news is that this has been going on this has been going on since slavery right i mean i was when i lived in new york in the early 90s i was on um police patrol so you know we have them do the right thing radio rahim gets strangled by the you know this has always been a thing it's the 60s we have the black panther party but i think the good news is that the partial good news is that we're starting because of the advent of technology we're starting to have video that can be taken to trial. We're starting to get humongous settlements, even though some of them are overturned. You know, one
2: right. problem, Sandra
1: Blant's family did get one point 9, nine million. One point nine million in a civil civil right. lawsuit settlement. Mm-hmm. So, the but problem, I'd rather
2: have the life, the money. Of dogs. course, no, amen, of course. Yes, of amen. Course. And then, it, it, okay, you get All this law. Lo- you get the lawsuit. Yeah, your loved one's gone. Right. And then the next week, it happens again. Yeah. Then, then someone else wins another point million dollars then it happens again
3: yeah and and i and i mean i think like one problem is that these huge settlements are not coming out of police coffers they're coming out of taxpayers. they're coming coffers. out of taxpayers pockets um so they're
2: not serving as a proper deterrent
3: <clears> for, <throat> no. for any of this behavior right
2: yeah then that's disturbing now what what i do know since i've been a member of a police officers family since 50 54 55 is that those stops that you just mentioned like yours and uh, a light out or lights out or a signal continuously blinking, Mm -hmm. they look for little things like that because you'll be surprised at real criminals they have caught that would do, that have those kind of things going on and a routine stop, they have actually nine times out of 10 have gotten someone that has really done something s- wrong. Unfortunately, with that, having said that, then innocent people are caught up in that too, mm-hmm. that are law-abiding, that just don't know that a light is out, mm-hmm. uh, don't know that they've left a blinker on, or might have changed lanes without turning something on. So the innocent get caught up in that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just unfortunately, That so many African Americans end up dead from something like that or incarcerated and then end up dead that's a problem and I don't see any or hear any of the politicians addressing how we're going to try to eliminate that have you am I mistaken with that no out of the 20 some odd people running on the Democratic ticket (laughs) 22 no. no one has addressed that and to me that's huge um, I guess it just depends where your priorities are mm-hmm. set. But incarceration and people dying, we're dying. That needs to be mm-hmm. up there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I if, completely agree. If you're joining us on um, Bringing On, we're having uh, a very uh, in-depth conversation. And uh, actually, uh, it's it's a draining conversation because <laughs> I'm thinking we've had this conversation before, mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. three We've been years having ago. it. I yes. and, and others, yes. uh, but, but with us tonight is uh, Amrina Myers, who's a Bring It On contributor and Ruth N. Hall's associate professor in the Department of History and Gender Studies at IU, and along with her is Jacinda Townsend, also a Bring It On contributor and associate pre- professor of English.
3: I'm going to correct that. I'm free. I'm, I don't teach at IU. <laughs>
0: okay. Jacinda Townsend. I'm a Bloomington okay. resident. Clean, I'm okay. <laughs> Just in the towns and also a bringing on contributor, and who is a recipient of the Janet Heidinger Kafka Prize for Fiction, and who is now teaching at what institution? Berea College, College yes. in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes. Who drove all the way up here today?
3: Oh, I live in. Oh, okay, I, I know so. you do. I know you do.
0: Um, but I want to. I want to steer this conversation. Um, in another direction, we have had law enforcement of, um, um, officials and trainers, captains, and you know, and, and our local state police. We've had our uh, police chief on before, and they've assured us that proper training takes place, and um, you know that there are um, ways that they take officers and they prepare them for the highways and the streets and byways of communities to go out and uh, patrol the community and to be that first line of uh, defense and protection for the citizens. That all sounds good, but I still go back to this notion of if I'm not all there Mm -hmm. before you give me the badge, there's something Mm -hmm. about that badge. That badge to so many people means so many things. In some communities, a badge is mistrusted and some it's embraced. Um, You know, when I was growing up, the people that you must always trust were police officers or medical professionals or whatever, but uh, nowadays it's a little different. Now, uh, and I look at single mothers or really any family that sends their children out, especially their young black males, to go and play in the neighborhood. Now they have to, re- to you know, they used to be worried about gangs and, and other influences in the neighborhood, but now a lot of families are having to have this talk with their young children about What do you do if you are detained or if you are questioned by police?
2: Well, you're saying now. Now. I've had. It's been happening for a long time. My dad was a police officer and had gave that talk to Mm -hmm. me and my brothers uh, back in the 60s, what what you're supposed to do. And then, of course, we had that talk with our sons and his friends Mm -hmm. on what you're supposed to do. And and like you brought up, Amrita, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And you still wind up dead. I
1: mean, I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that the officer told me my lights were out. I'm glad I didn't hit a deer. I'm glad nobody else hit me. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that he helped me get my lights on, gave me a warning and sent me on my way. I'm glad I had a stern conversation with my dealership (laughs) about why the heck did you leave my (coughs) lights off? Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, I'm glad that nothing happened but i shouldn't be terrified mm-hmm. that i get pulled when i get pulled over by the police this is my point my point is i was raised in canada by parents who taught me when i was little that the police were the good guys and i no longer feel that way folks this is my point my point is is that now i'm terrified when i see lights flashing behind me even though I know that I didn't do anything wrong,
2: this I, is the problem. I'd like to know what um, his attitude. How did his? How did he come off toward you? Was he respectful, or how did you? How was his demeanor? Yes, thank you.
1: So it shifted. About it. at first, when I said to him. You know, at first he was like, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, no, I have absolutely no idea because I wasn't speeding. He goes, no, you weren't speeding, but your lights are off. I have automatic lights. Well, can we see if they're working? Like, he was like, because I responded with, I have automatic lights. And he responded with, well, can we see if they're working? Like, he was very, because, you know, there was this automatic sort of, like, power struggle. (laughs) But... He could tell that I was like completely like horrified when they were not on. Mm -hmm. And I just pointed to the sticker on my car and I said, I just picked it up from the dealership and you can see that the today's date is on it. I said, they clearly turned the lights off. Mm -hmm. I said, I just don't know what to tell you. And I just shook my head. I said, this is not the first time this has happened. Mm -hmm. I said, and then I looked at him and I said, "I'm really glad." That I, I this is when it shifted. I said, "I'm really glad that you stopped me." I said because I could have had an accident. I said, I said and that's and that's when everything shifted. His attitude
2: shifted for the, the his attitude. The his attitude. Positive yeah, and okay.
1: yeah, and all of a sudden he was like, because I said I'm so like I said I could have had an accident. I'm so glad that you put po- because because when I was like. Trying to like you know tell him that you know I have automatic lights, I don't know he was like very like and he's he looked like he was about- tw- you know twenty something years old I mean I'm old enough to be his mother, mm-hmm. right, clearly, but he you know yeah <laughs> i'm I,
0: I'm not saying nothing on that one I'm, I'm just saying but there you, was an age
2: difference yeah. <laughs> but you brought up a point because
1: the <laughs> point is is that they don't like it when you try to have any sort of
2: confrontation.
1: confrontation or dialogue or conversation with them. And this brings me back to Sandra Bland
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Officer Encino.
0: Now see, that could have been your perspective or your um, opinion. But, but see, now we have this cell phone mm-hmm. footage, right. which removes a lot of the questions and the guessing because he or she plainly is, is here calmly.
1: It doesn't matter how calm she was because I was also very calm. I was like, I have automatic lights. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that I was like really calm about it. He didn't like the fact that I had anything to say
3: mm-hmm.
1: because you see they're in charge. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you have to True. just accept that they're in charge because they have the badge mm-hmm. They have the taser, they have the gun, and you are simply supposed to accept that they are in charge.
0: Now, now here's a quandary we're in. Uh, because if someone's trying to do a home invasion, I will call them.
3: See, I won't. I've, I've been the object of domestic violence. This is not a secret. I'm not like ashamed of anything. I've never called the police. My neighbors have called the police, mm-hmm. and I was kind of ticked off that they called the police because mm-hmm. I knew that I'm black, the perpetrator's white, that's not going to go well. And in fact, there was one time where it really didn't. It was kind of like, maybe this is your fault, lady. I'm like, I'm, there's like broken glass in the corner. Like, that's not my fault. <laughs> but I, I mean, this is the flip side of it, is that if you're black and you're the victim of a crime, like, I, I'm not, because unlike yeah. am like, I'm like the Canadian here. I did not grow up with the idea that police were there to serve me. My mom had, like, the whole black liberation library. And so one of the books that I read as, like, the Bible was um, COINTELPRO, actually, like, when I was a little girl. And I learned, like, what law enforcement means to black people. So I have never thought to rely on the police for Mm -hmm. anything, nothing, never. Um, I never... I would rather have risked being the object of domestic violence endlessly than to involve the police and like risk my life, you know. So, but yeah. this is,
1: and this is the thing, Like I've, it's only as after now 23 years of living in the United States, mm-hmm. to the first 10 in the metro New York City area and having to witness the shooting deaths of men like Amadou Diallo, um, and just
2: so const- 45 shots <sighs> Yes,
1: I mean and Never witnessing just day after day black men and women being shot and beaten and tasered and strangled and over and over and over again that I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm like I'm now where Jacinda is where I'm like somebody else would have to be picking up that phone and dialing 911 because i would probably have to
2: be like bleeding to death are you numb from those experiences coming to america has it numbed you it's made me angry
1: it hasn't numbed me it's made me angry Let's uh, it's made me angry on behalf of other people, though, let me let mm-hmm. me let me explain this to you. It's made me a social justice warrior. It hasn't made me angry in terms of like, it's made me like that's why I now do what I do. I now spend my life trying to make things different and trying to make things better. I'm not sitting at home. Angrily shaking my fist at the wall, or getting drunk, or doing nothing. Yes, I'm trying to. I teach, I I write, I serve, because I'm determined that things must change.
0: I'm I'm glad you you took that uh, attack because I was going to ask you both to share with us your experiences with Black Lives Matter. We have, and well, which only means we got to bring you back. We have three minutes left in this segment, but tell us, you began a conversation about your passion as to why you're involved, why you're active. Jacinda, why are you active with Black Lives Matter?
3: Sure. So like I say, I I did very much grow up with this idea that one of the main things that sort of impeded our progress as, as a community is that law enforcement has always disrupted our activism. It has always been there sort of like tracking um, progress and sort of stopping that progress. And so a logical outgrowth of that for me is that police brutality um, is designed to sort of like terrorize a community. Um, And so it's really important to me to sort of like work um, in a way that, that, that sort of dilutes that power a little
0: bit. Mm -hmm. And you both um, have been active in the Bloomington community and then on the regional and national level with Black Lives Matter? Or has most of your involvement just been here locally? Mine has only been local.
1: No, so, I mean, my work has been almost all local.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you in contact? You mentioned that there are people who are in Chicago who can train like no one else, and you've interacted with these people. Did you go to Ferguson?
1: Uh, no, I didn't go to Ferguson. And um, I, that's actually when I started getting mm-hmm.
0: more involved. Because you were an organizer uh, at a protest rally uh, at the um, well, at the the old courthouse here mm-hmm. in town. And then I, I, in a lot of ways, I saw you find your voice. I just observed that you were finding your voice more and more on these particular issues. You've always... Just, just so that the listeners know, I Ann-Rita's mean, always had a voice. She's <laughs> never been short for uh, a voice or an opinion on a lot of salient things, but, but you found your voice for this around that time. And then you've been active on panels in, in, in the city, you've been active in presentations that you helped organize. Um, and we've come to that point where we almost have to say this part is over, but um, if we can gobble up one more minute. Uh, Can you tell me what you envision through your involvement with Black Lives Matter? What do you hope to see?
3: I mean, it's one sentence I hope to make Bloomington a safer place for black people. I have two kids, and I would like for them not to grow up fearing a traffic stop. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Okay.
1: And I just think, I mean, even on a basic like for right, I mean, right now, BLM local is running a necessity drive. For example, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, uh, on a, there are people in our community who don't have the basic things of life that we take right. for granted. Right. Right. So there are so many things, you know, we might, we might think of BLM when someone gets shot to death but we're doing basic things in our community to help each other you know like so that's why we're running this drive so that we can you know get things like you know hygiene you know basic like toiletries and hygiene supplies and things together so that Mm -hmm. people who don't have things that we take for granted can have them. So we're doing things like that, on, you know, on a local level to help mm-hmm. the people in our community who need them. Oh, that's
2: wonderful.
0: And unfortunately, we do have to put a, a sort of a pin in this conversation right now. But to me, it really does mean we just want to invite you back to talk more at length about Black Lives Matter. Uh, just so that you know, I've reached out to individuals in law enforcement and they've agreed to come on to talk again about the uh, training that goes on and the expectations for law enforcement when pullovers are um, conducted and um, interactions with the community in, in light of the sort of very sensitive time that we're in. But on that note, I just wanna say our thanks to Amrita Myers and Jacinda Townsend for joining us this evening to begin a conversation, to begin a conversation on the Sandra Bland controversial death. We will seek to continue this conversation um, from the perspective of law enforcement in the upcoming weeks, we'll um, and I'd like to invite perhaps you both back for that. Um, I just want to thank you both for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for
1: having thank us. Thank you. Thank the you time for flew by. Us. There's
2: so much more to say. Mm-hmm. But
1: thank you for having us. Thank
2: you. Okay, bring it on. Has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
0: Welcome to Dark Past, Bright Future, lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us.
2: Good evening. This is Elizabeth Mitchell with another edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. Decoration Day, a day of remembrance. This is what Memorial Day is supposed to be. Who will you remember on this upcoming national holiday? I have a few suggestions. How about remembering Crispus Attucks, a slave, who on March the 5th, 1770, was the first American to be killed in the Boston Massacre. Attucks was commemorated by his fellow Boston Tarians as a martyr for freedom. The first patriot fatality of the war. Crispus Attucks gave up his life to the United States, a country at that time who deemed him a non-citizen. In 1852, the United States Supreme Court in the Dred Scott case ruled that Negro slave descendants were not U.S. citizens. Ninety-eight years after the death of Attucks, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution settled the issue of citizenship, stating all persons born to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. That's my first suggestion. Bringing this Memorial Day closer to home, my second suggestion is to remember Mr. Andrew Ferguson. If you visit Rose Hill Cemetery, how about stopping by the gravesite of Andrew Ferguson, who is buried in the old Spencer edition at H six? Andrew Ferguson was born a slave in Dinwiddie County, Virginia. He was fifteen years old when he was forced into service along with his father, Andrew Pearlie Ferguson. They were both taken prisoner by the British army and both were whipped with cannonine tails. They then escaped from the British and fell in with a group of American soldiers. The first engagement he fought in was the Battle of Allegheny, then on to fight at Kings Mountain, located in North Carolina, where he was injured, not once, but twice. Ferguson migrated from the east to Indiana, and for a short time lived in Vincennes, Indiana, where he applied for his veteran's pension. At the time, he was told that a colored man could not get a pension. However, a few years later, he was added to the pension rolls at $20 per annum. In 1855, he was living in Bloomington, Indiana, and applied for his bounty land, of a 160 acres, which he was entitled to because he was a Revolutionary War veteran. At the time, he was over 90 years old. Unfortunately, he died a few weeks before the bounty land warrant arrived. Before his death, he was characterized as being a very feeble old man and was greatly liked and that he eked out an existence for himself and his wife by doing odd chores around the city of Bloomington. Years have passed without a flag or even a withered rose having ever been placed upon his grave. So having said that, if it's in your heart, stop by his gravesite and honor this man, one of many who helped make America. Last, but certainly not least, Please remember those African-American veterans who bravely fought for the United States of America, came home, and were lynched by vigilante groups for wearing their uniforms. In a report entitled, Lynching in America, targeting black veterans concluded that between 1877 and 1950, no one was more at risk of experiencing hatred, violence, and targeted terror than the black veterans across the South. We do so much in this country to celebrate and honor folks who risk their lives on the battlefield. But we don't remember that black veterans were more likely to be attacked in America for their service rather than honored for it. In 1917, Mississippi Senator James Vardaman said that the return of black veterans would lead to disaster because once you impress the Negro with the fact that he is defending the flag and inflate him with military airs, then his political rights must be respected. It had been recorded that 1.2 million black men enlisted during the second world war again proving a commitment to and faith in the united states of america now is the time to remember and to be grateful to all who serve this country to protect our freedoms black brown yellow red white or whatever i am personally humbled by your service, and at this time, I wish to thank you for your dedication. This concludes this edition of Dark Past, Bright Future.
0: You've been listening to Dark Past, Bright Future, exploring the many different shades of African-American history because the true history of our people is more complex than black and white. In the words of the Negro National Hymn, Sing a song full of the hope that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHP 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. You just heard a new edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, a feature segment on historical perspectives that you won't hear in mainstream media.
2: Bring It On is the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to Twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB News website at wfhb.org slash news.
0: We have uh, asked Amrina Myers to stay around for a little bit longer. She began a discussion on something that's very close to her heart and she's very passionate about, and that is the necessities drive uh, that the local Black Lives Matter uh, Matters is coordinating. And I've asked her to share with us in a sort of a summary how to get involved, where, what, what, what did it?
1: So um, this is something that the Black Lives Matter B-Town chapter did last year as well and we're running it again this year. It's called BLM's Necessity Drive and it's one way that we can help um, people right here in our town in the here and now. So one of the things that um, we often do is we only get involved when after something terrible happens when someone gets shot right um and we think about blm in that sense and what blm is trying to do is help people in the here and now when we need it right when people are alive (laughs) and we're um we're helping people you know people who are homeless people who are in need and so we're running our summer necessity drive people who are homeless who are in need um and so if you go to blm uh blm.btown and you go to our website we'll you'll see our summer necessity drive And you can see that there are, we have a wish list, an Amazon wish list, and there's all kinds of um, toiletries and things that you can purchase and those items will go directly to us, and we will distribute them to shelters in town, so they can get to people who need them. And there's items that are super inexpensive, all the way up to really expensive items. So you can choose what's in your budget. So we would just again, you can go to Black Lives Matter, BLM. Btown. In. and Summer Necessity Drive. And you can pick whatever it is that you like on the Amazon wish list, and we
2: would just ask you to contribute
1: as your heart leads you. Thank you so much.
2: Our thanks go to Amrita Myers and Jacinda Townsend for joining us this evening to begin a conversation on the Sandra Blind controversial death. We will seek to continue this conversation from the perspective of law enforcement at some point.
0: Our show's producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB's News Department Director, Wes Martin. Tonight's board engineer uh, was Wes Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone.
2: And I'm Liz Mitchell. Tune in next Monday, the 27th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB.